Hey guys, and welcome back. It's Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. It's episode 104. Again, not worried too much about the titles at this point. We're continuing the investigation into the acid test. Can we use nature to inform us about the bigger questions uh, in life? The big unanswered questions. And so a little bit more about the questions themselves. So I think... Questions in science come from a lot of different areas, right? Sometimes they're problems to solve. Um, we have unsafe drinking water. How do we make the drinking water safe for people? Uh, the cancer is killing us, and how do we solve that? Uh, but oftentimes, the other side of that is just sort of theoretical science, like physics. You know, um, why does is light a particle or a wave? Let's do some examinations to figure this out. A lot of times, science too is 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 really just research, or as um, one of my mentors, the late Reese Fochel, used to say, "Research." I just think it's so funny. Um, so you know, a scientific research paper, right, might be science. You know, sort of like um, learning to how the body works. Uh, when somebody already knows and is just explaining it to you, it's science-based, but it's really just learning. Like one could make the argument that medical school is just a, is a trade school, right? Um, or really, you know, plumbing is a, is just learning a trade. You're not figuring it out, and so that, that's one thing we call science. I'm not really sure it is. It doesn't matter. But, but um, one of the big things that science does is is use a methodology to go about asking questions. And that's kind of what I want to do here is sort of borrow a structure, you know, a, 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 a form and not so much a function from science to, because I think the scientific method is a good way to go about answering questions. Now, preceding these questions, again, usually there's a problem. And what I perceive to be the problem, and I'm pretty sure I've done an episode on this already, but just to rehash it and focus it specifically on these acid tests is, well, it's, it's, it's manifold. For me personally, you know, my problems started out as depression, anxiety. Well, it didn't even start out like that. It started out as feeling other than or like a sense of not belonging, of resisting conformity for conformity's sake. And, and what I, I look back now, and that resulted in depression and ultimately anxiety and probably some, some poor life choices, drinking a lot and abusing cannabis and smoking cigarettes and generally just seeking an escape from reality. Um, and you could look at this a couple different ways um, because my escapes from reality have brought me here <laughs> and, and able to look outside the box, consider alternative pathways rather than restrictive, dogmatic, repetitious, um, approved methodologies that I would just repeat because it very, very rarely leads to new information, especially outside the incentives of money. You know, I'm, I'm not incentivized by money. I'm incentivized by answering these questions, which again, began with just a general sense of dis-ease, the ultimate Buddhist uh, dissatisfaction, unsatisfaction, just general discomfort. As a kid, I just I looked around me, and what I saw was disagreeable. It didn't. I didn't feel like I fit in because uh, what I look back now and see, I just wasn't willing to blindly leap on board whatever train happened to be 
happening, whether it was bullies picking on kids at the playground, I just didn't feel that was right, or um, being assessed using grades when I knew that I understood the material and I just didn't care, or, uh, you know, not understanding why my Christmas presents were, you know, in my closet and they're supposed to be this Santa Claus guy and uh, maybe that had to do with the fact that uh, I was largely ignored, you know, um, well, maybe even neglected a little bit as a kid. Just, I mean, I was a 70s kid, right? We were left to our own devices. And uh, what I learned from, on the playground and with my friends was, you know, a, a lot more interaction than I got with my family. I, I don't know. I, I'm not really interested in exploring that avenue right now. The, the point is, I do believe, as Don Miguel Ruiz and the Toltecs call it, there is a domestication process that happens where we are taught our cultural, well, first our familial and our school and our church norms, and we're, we're, we're encouraged to not question these things and just sort of blindly adapt these beliefs and behaviors to be our own. And I, and I didn't feel like this was right. I mean, I wanted, I don't know how, as a kid, even as like a, gosh, I remember maybe six-year-old who I visit with quite frequently had this inherent need to understand things. Why was I vomiting? Why do we die? Why um, are we having this for dinner tonight? Why do I have a brother and sister? Why? Why? I needed explanations, I, and I've always needed to feel in order to feel invested in a job and a family or, or society i needed information to help me contextualize the whole thing i don't know why in the absence of this information has caused me a lot of trauma um and i and i've sort of apologized for it for a long time and now i just embrace and accept it i'm just inquisitive and curious and and i, and I need to know why and to contextualize and maybe you can relate to this just give me like my job it's like if I'm doing some asinine thing like grinding up buckets for eight hours at a factory, just tell me why I'm doing it. Oh, you mean if I do this, then we use this these ground up bucket scraps and recycle them, and then we can save this much money on the bottom line. And so you're paying me $9 an hour to do this work that's going to generate $100 an hour in savings of materials. Okay, I feel I can get behind that. It contextualizes it. It it puts me in the piece of uh, 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 just feel like a part of this thing, right? I want to belong. And and there it is right there that I never felt like I belonged and the, th- the options that were presented to me to belong to seemed weird. Like I didn't want to be a member of a sports team. Um, you know, I didn't want to be seen as a gifted kid or a dumb kid or a a black kid or a white kid. I didn't didn't understand these groups that were presented to me as options, right? I wanted a, a different sense of belonging, and I still long for that. And I think a lot of us do. And so and then, you know, when I started to see things around me like racism and bullying on the playground and, you know, Kids at school getting favoritism based on sort of the neighborhood they lived in or the color of their skin and seeing, you know, learning that not everybody had an equal chance. I remember talking to a guidance counselor one time and I thought, well, I'd like to think that all the students here have opportunities. And he laughed at me, you know, at my naivete and basically said, no, not all these kids have what it takes to be smart or whatever it was. And I, and I just, I, 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 I said, so what? So that's it? 
Where's the room for the the improvement? Where's the do do we not care? Uh, and, I, and I can't put my finger on what it was, but I think all of us can relate to not understanding or being able to relate to or feel a sense of belonging to the status quo. You know, whatever it is, what's going on? Why do why do religious people not like gay people? Um, why do I have to go to church every Sunday? Um, how come healthy food costs more than cheap food? Uh, why do why do we have to learn algebra? Whatever it is. You know, contextualize it. And so the problem is the disconnect between things that make sense to us as individuals, as kids, and the the societal, familial, religious, educational rules, norms, and laws that we prescribe to that seemingly have no um, adaptive management component or capacity for change. It's take it or leave it. Indoctrinate or don't indoctrinate. Conform or don't. Tune in, tune out, to drop out. Tune, <laughs> turn on, tune in, drop out, whatever. You know, you're either a conformist or you're a nonconformist. So that that's part of the problem. The, and those problems, of course, get bigger outside of the playground. Once you get down to the real world, now you've got things like um, prejudice for jobs, which generates things. All of the social uh, issues of today, you know, um, discrimination based on anything, color of your skin, sexual preference, appearance, hair length, you know, religious capacity, whatever, that we tried to make, you know, amends for, but they're all, it's all lips. Much of it is lip service, right? And that's even more frustrating when you see things that one, one party is saying, we need to fix this. Another part is saying, okay, we're going to fix it. But the way we fix it is just lip service, right? We're just, we're just sort of pretending to fix it in order to, 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 to placate the complaining party. That's, that just makes it worse. And these things, of course, can, can lead to depression, anxiety, when we just, we, there's, a, there's a disconnect and a discontinuity and a cognitive dissonance between the things that we need and the things that we, we understand about ourselves and the capacity to get those needs met in, in the world that we live in. And then also just things that we don't understand. You know, some people will just wake up depressed one day and don't know how to get out of it. And maybe there's no, we don't have um, the, the, the simple things like the capacity to communicate and open forums for, for the, uh, not being ashamed or, or um, you know, embarrassed by the way that we are. You know, that seems like there's a very fundamental set of things missing. So there's another problem, right? Why is it so hard to even talk to people? Um, yeah, communication even among married spouses. You know, when you can, when you can be so vulnerable as to be naked and have sexual intercourse with somebody, but you can't have a have a meaningful conversation with them. You know, I think that I think there's a an upstream issue that hasn't been addressed. And I think there's a lot of these things, right? And so that's, this is all under the guise of the problem. And I, and I, and I would say one um, umbrella term or sort of big concept that we use to to sort of summarize this problem is connectedness. You know, this idea lately that we're quickly becoming more and more separated as we identify uh, more and more with a reality that's inside of our, telephone, um, we get further and further apart. Uh, and I think this is an example of the greater project here, right? I think, I think nature will tell us 
that that if the question comes down to are we connected, are we separate individuals in the world, or are we connected individuals in the world? The the Earth, the nature, physics, all the universe is going to point to the fact that we are actually all the same stuff. Therefore, we all share. We know we're connected, not separate. So the more we fight against that um, universal theme law, whatever you want to call it, theorem, postulate, (laughs) the more difficult things are going to be. And so it's almost like wherever the problems are, and you can get specific and say something like uh, social anxiety, or you can get as general and say something like um, uh, a difficulty communicating with people that don't look like us, whatever, Um, religions getting along, war. I mean, how long does the list have to be? You know, uh, idol worship for powerful celebrities. So many things fall under this. You know, think of anything that you see on a daily basis that just doesn't seem right with the world. I think we can trace it back to, uh, uh, you know, saying, hello, this is a problem. Uh, something isn't right here. Where, what is the solution to this problem? And, and part of this acid test idea is that let's, for a moment, take what we've learned, but, re- but release our dependence on traditional means of explaining these things. Let's, let's, let's um, suspend judgment. Let's suspend needing to, you know, if we have a kid problem, Let's not call social services. If we have a health problem, maybe the doctor isn't the person that's going to answer it. If we have a relationship problem, maybe let's not bring in a, a therapist um, yet. Or let's, of course, explore all of these pathways. But let's consider um, a bigger, more upstream explanation. than Instead of looking at this myopically and going, you know, I am scared to get on a plane. Oh, I must have a plane phobia, Right. That's that. That's one way to to address the issue on a short term basis. But I, I think a million times out of a million, your problem is often going to be further and further upstream. That's what I'm getting at. One there, right there, is a natural principle um, that the model of human um, suffering or discomfort is more likely to resemble a stream that that flows than a pond that is static, right? That our problems are likely to be more complex um, than, than what appears to be on the surface. They are actually probably several layers. You know, that this is a symptom of a different problem. Therefore, addressing a solution to that problem by looking only at the problem is likely to, at best, create some sort of a short-term solution. And I think being stuck in this mindset and this sort of approach is is a big issue, and it's not a natural way of going about it. In fact, it's very unnatural to, to sort of say, well, this this tree is on fire. You know, and of course, that's a terrible example. If there's a forest fire, you want to put it out, right? But what is the underlying problem? You know, and that And for this example, let's explore a little bit. In nature, it might not be a problem. It's only a problem to the people who built their houses there. Fire might be in a, a natural part of this ecosystem necessary to perpetuate it for new growth and nutrient release and all those things for, um, that fall under the realm of fire ecology. Now, we understand that particular kind of ecosystem that requires fire. So you, the, the problem is way more upstream, and it just has to do with us anthropomorphizing or you know putting our ethnocentric needs above the needs of the forest ecosystem and not recognizing that we're a part of it and not the goal of it. 
So it might just be how you're looking at things, but it's still going to be multiple levels removed from what you're looking at in that particular moment. And so traditionally, we have used very specific fields that are developed to solve problems in the very immediate uh, need type of base, like a Band-Aid, right? You got a cut, you put a Band-Aid on it. Well, maybe the problem is you like playing with a glass and glass breaks, and maybe there's another solution. You can play with the wood, uh, and wood doesn't cause as many cuts, right? I mean, there's, that's sort of what I'm talking about. Let's get... Well, it doesn't, I'm not even trying to say we... I'm not even proposing that we go about finding solutions differently. My point is to shift into a systems thinking type of way because that's how nature works, right? Again, we're using nature as a, to, to give us a model for how we might solve our problems. Uh, and that's more on the solution side. Um, I think if I've, if I've vi- visited the problems, you know, the, so I tried to start from the smallest and get those problems get bigger, you know, from like playground bullying up to something like uh, anxiety or depression. But we can list them off, see if I can do this without any preparation. But, you know, war, violence, evil, you know, the, um, the, um, which I, I always sort of attribute to um, non-egalitarian or inequality amongst villages, tribes, cultures. Uh, maybe there's no solution to that, uh, but I think there probably could be. There, there are several people who are researching in the several books that have been written about whether or not inequality is inherent in our culture going back 50,000 years or whatever. Uh, we'll never probably know um, but it's an interesting exercise to wonder w- what the purpose of these inequalities are, like a caste system, um, a system where you've got an uh, autocratic or dictatorial ruler, and then all the peons, you know, the example of slavery. If you go back and lo- uh, listen to my slavery episode, I talk a lot about that sort of cultural organization. And I'm not trying to propose some utopian solution where all of a sudden everybody's equal and we have... Um, universal basic income and all these other things. But I definitely think the more that we encourage, perpetuate drastic differences in access opportunity, um, the more problems we're going to have. And if you see, you know, in nature, what happens is, uh, you know, it's about resources, right? And generally speaking, (laughs) and we'll get into this in more detail, but this is just another example. If there is competition in nature, it rarely happens where it is actually the survival of the fittest. In fact, there are tons of mechanisms where species competing, if two different species are competing, they will actually partition resources and learn genetically, adaptively, through multiple generations to cooperate. You know, More often than not, if you look to nature, the solution is going to be cooperation and not competition. Why is that? Well... You know, the universal theme is we, we want to coexist. We're all connected. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to kill you. I don't want to be have any equal opportunity to you. And I'm anthropomorphizing here. But if you look at nature, that that's generally what happens is that a, a solution that, a, that, that perpetuates a more egalitarian, equal access opportunity situation as opposed to the biggest, strongest surviving. You know, that's one of the ways that Darwin's um, theories and uh, natural selection has been bastardized. This whole survival of the fittest idea that sort of glamorizes competition. So we got to get away from that. Just as an example, 
And so when traditionally we have looked to and developed fields of, of study, disciplines, sciences, whatever, to address the immediate Band-Aid solutions, things like, well, all the sciences, you know, biology, um, chemistry, you know, like let's solve these things by, by understanding them. And now again, there's the first stage of all these disciplines, which is just cataloging and the naturalist approach. What's that? What's it do? Let's give it a name. Let's figure out how it works. That's one side of science. I'm not talking about that really right now. Those are all necessary. That's all just gathering knowledge and learning about stuff, right? Even though we call it science. It's really the um, creation of solutions, which are generally short-term solutions, and then the 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 strengthening of those solutions as uh, through dogma um, to perpetuate your own existence, right? And these things are psychology, philosophy, religion. You know, these are the traditional things that we've done in order to sort of solve our problems, and they become more and more and more. I guess reductionist is the word, addressing more and more smaller and smaller symptoms. And in the process, becoming exceptionally myopic. You know, if there's one thing that's weird about it, the opposite, whatever the opposite of a systems approach is, is it only gets more and more and more and more and more myopic for lots of different reasons, not the least of which is competition for funding, Uh, which there's a lot going on here. But I just want to sort of demonstrate the idea that if I can summarize, traditionally, we have looked at our problems and and I listed a whole bunch of them and you have plenty on your own. And I think there's probably, you know, a good 25 human problems that we'd like to solve. Uh, you know, hunger, inequality, et cetera, et cetera, climate change. And we have addressed these uh, through reductionist mechanisms, uh, creating uh, more and more myopic disciplines of study um, to address shorter and shorter term solutions and in, in the process, become less and less of a systems type thinking. And there's lots of reasons why we would want to do that because, well, there's one I can think of right now. And systems thinking is just too damn hard. And you know what it requires a whole lot of? Cooperation. And the ideal solution to most of these problems is not for a single, dis- a single expert or even a set of experts within a single field to come up with a plan. It is about... Getting everybody, getting experts from all of the different causal areas involved. And that's why I, you know, I'm not saying I'm a genius, but my approach to my dissertation that I talked about in episode 102, maybe, or 103, where I just put, I put all, you know, I love the whiteboard idea. Just, you know, get a big whiteboard, put the problem in the center. Climate change, um, depression, inequality, racism, sexual discrimination, whatever your, your, your problem is, put that in the center. And then draw a bunch of arrows to it, and draw all the different write write down all the different things that you might be might think might be influencing that, and then draw arrows to all those little things that, of things that might be influencing them, and then you're going to get this giant like a food web. Only it's not energy flow; it is energy flow, you know. Um, a bunch of boxes and arrows where you get sort of flowing of energy into certain entities that are all interacting with one another. You know, as both independent and dependent variables, and some working with both as independent and dependent variables. This is dependent on that, but it also affects you. And you get that all out as as complex as you can stand, as big of a whiteboard as you've got. Then get all your experts in there and sort of start weighing the pros and cons of each, and sort of assigning estimates of probabilities. Well, yeah, I mean, I get it that you know the the uh, seventy two Camaro 
did put out a lot more carbon than we thought, but I'm not sure it's going to be a massive driver in and of itself of climate change due to the numbers that were produced. So we're going to put this one in a bigger one that's called, you know, exhaust. <laughs> you know, you follow my drift. So this is how we're going to do it. Uh, there's the questions that are based. So the question comes down to, can we look to nature who has solved her problems in a fairly unbiased way through the mechanisms that evolved in the universe, most notably DNA and the ability to adapt to changing environmental conditions through time, rendering individuals of each new cohort of a species as more or less fit than prior generations. And then look at how, you know, as much record as we have over whatever expanse of time possible, you know, geologic time, we got lots of records over a whole lot of time. Uh, Individual species, not so much. So, you know, all this stuff is going to be as good as it gets in what we know. And there's going to be a little bit of theory and, you know, expert postulating mixed in there. Can we use that pattern of knowledge to sort of overlay over our set of particular problems that I will discuss in more detail as we develop this. I think we can. I think it will be informative. I don't think that it's necessarily been done before. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm love to sort of apply approach I've taken to solve other problems in a unique and sort of um, expansive way to these. And I hope that you'll join me on this journey and, and make this more of a discourse and less of a lecture. <laughs> And I invite you to participate in whatever way you can. I'm Chris Bircher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This has been episode 104, The Acid Tests. What are the questions? And how have we answered these in the past? Take it easy.